much are you worth? I have no idea. How much do you want? No, I just want to know what you're worth. Over 10 million? Oh, my, yes. Why are you doing it? How much better can you eat? What can you buy that you can't already afford? The future, Mr. Gitz. The future. Now, where's the girl? I want the only daughter I've got left. As you found out, Evelyn was lost to me a long time ago. Who do you blame for that, her? I don't blame myself. See, Mr. Gitz, most people never have to face the fact that the right time and the right place, they're capable of everything. You know, Billy, what worries me is how your mother's going to take this. Um, um, well, you, you, you don't, don't have to t t t tell her, Miss Ratchet. I don't have to tell her. Your mother and I are old friends, you know that. Um, please no, 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 don't t t tell my mother. Don't you think you should have mother. thought of that before you took that woman in that room? <coughs> I almost forgot. <coughs> gave me a thousand. I think his idea was that I kill you. <laughs> <laughs> But you know the pity is when I'm paid. I always follow my job through. You know that. No! Angelon! Okay. See what you've done, Animal House? You've created Neighbors and Neighbors 2. Yeah. Actually, that, that trailer uh, just before Deadpool got me a few laughs. Yeah, it's a very, I think it looks fun. Yeah, Zach, Zach Efron seems... Uh, First Perfectly charming uh, yeah. in, in that in that he, film. He's in his element in that movie, and uh, yeah, I yeah, I, you know, it doesn't it doesn't demand like that much out of him. I know, but he can still do it well. I mean, a oh, job well course. done is a job well done. That is still a ser you have to take that kind of acting seriously. Um, but anyway, we're back with the Wages of Cinema, and this week, um, we like to talk about something which may I don't remember if they had exactly a villain in neighbors but there was a villain in deadpool there was a villain in deadpool how do you like that segue that's I, a perfect segue there Brad. we go you're good you are the segue king high five good people come and take guided tours of cities on you they call me jack segway gatinella in some places i always have zero. good so so segway. we have yeah so we have this character in deadpool which we kind of briefly brought up in our review but it's in, I think we both kind of thought about this guy, and even before the movie started, you were talking with me about villains in general with movies. Yeah, I've been thinking a lot about villains, and Deadpool kind of brought this, uh, kind of highlighted this. Well, in well, in Deadpool, my mind. well, in Deadpool, I'm looking up the uh, the character is named Ajax, even though that's not his real name. Yeah, that's kind of part of the joke is that he. He's he's continually reminded by Deadpool, like, hey, what's your real name, like Jimmy? And he find, and then he finally finds out his real name, yeah, and, Francis. Yeah, and Francis it's, uh, and it really like gets to him yeah. for some reason. And um, yeah, and the actor is this guy Ed Screen, and uh, you know he's fine, but 
you know, is he particularly memorable? No. Not as a villain. No, and I even as just an aside, by the way, he was the only other major movie he's been in before this. He was in. Um, they decided for some ungodly reason to do a reboot of the Transporter series. Ah. So you go from Jason Statham to this guy. Ah, uh, too bad. That's a little bit of a drop off in quality, I think. Yeah, but the problem is again, yeah, it's. It, here's the thing, Francis, the character. What does he want? What does he want? He wants money. That's pretty much it. That's, I mean, I know. Well, he's also kind of a sadistic prick. Yeah, but I mean, he we already knew he was a bad guy from the fact that he liked to experiment on people and then turn them into slaves at, to sell to uh to, to sell the bad guys around the world. Yeah. Okay, fine. You don't need to convince us anymore that he's evil. But and, they keep turning the screws on that. Yeah. Just like how like, they show what he does to Wade Wilson. Yeah, and they're like, oh, I like to torture people. And I also uh, don't like you at all. And I'm going to kidnap your wife. And things like that. And it's like, <laughs> and I, it's okay, okay, kind of, fine. It's kind of keep predictable. Doing, keep doing evil things. But I mean, what is your reason for being? And his only reason for being, in my, in my opinion... Was just to make money. Well, sometimes that can be enough, but you then also, but then you should try to give the character, you know, a little bit more personality. Now, in the case of Deadpool, um, here is something that I kind of tried, briefly brought up in our review. Like, I, it was interesting parallel that when we saw Guardians of the Galaxy, the villain in that movie, uh, I forget the character's name, but he was like the blue skin guy, Ronan played by the yeah, Ronan, yeah, played by good old Lee Pace, yeah, Lee Pace. I kind of wasted, but okay. yeah, I don't know. See, I, I almost feel like he was more wasted in Guardians than Mar- than this guy Ed Screen was in this movie. Because maybe you needed, because I, I keep going back and forth. Because on one hand, I wish the villain was stronger, but on the other hand, might it have been even as excessive as the movie is, might it have been going into overkill if you had an actor or a character who was trying to get you know keep up with. Deadpool on that level. Maybe you needed a straight guy, so to speak, in that kind of scenario. Uh, you have a scenario. good point. Let me, let me uh, draw a contrast between Guardians of the Galaxy and Deadpool. Yeah. I mean, very different films, but let's get to the villains here. In, in Deadpool, we had a villain who was essentially supposed to be generic. I mean, the credits certainly point to that. Like, he is billed as a British villain. <laughs> yeah. Okay, fine. So he's, and you know, uh, the movie sets up that he is going, he is a type. He is not, uh, he's not someone, he's not like a major comic book character. He's not somebody who we're supposed to recognize. Yeah. I mean, in, in, when we're talking about the Deadpool franchise, if you will, I mean, there's not much to go on. Fine. He's, he's kind of a placeholder. But then you go to the Guardians of the Galaxy. And we have this villain called Ronan the Accuser. Yeah. And even I know who Ronan the Accuser is because he oh, really? was in the Avengers animated series. Oh, okay. And he wasn't, like, huge, but he had a name and he had a purpose within that episode. Okay. And then he's played by a really great actor. Yeah, Lee Pace. And in that movie, he just causes trouble. And he... Yeah. <laughs> like, I, I guess his... His purpose was to get the, uh, whatever, the, the MacGuffin or yeah. the, 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 what, what are they called? The, the, the cubes, the, 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 the big MacGuffin of the, of yeah, the, the, the Marvel verse. <laughs> I, 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 and aside, 
and you give this like character you give this established character name to you give you take this established character yeah. character put him in this film and he doesn't do much yeah he does he doesn't seem distinct i mean he has this cool name but what does he really do to distinguish himself i mean that that's the problem there it's a matter of expectation yeah i think yeah a little bit of that I, but i also feel like in like the mold of guardians of the galaxy like i like guardians of the galaxy could have been like one of the very best ever because you had well. like that core cast of heroes but the villain just didn't in the villains i think there was also like a sub villain too and she was just there to fight but they didn't really rise up to that level they were just kind of bland none of those none of those villains were really fleshed and out and i think well we've also t- we've talked in the past and i think this is a big component when it comes to talking about villains in movies you know a hero is often you know only as strong as the villain a villain is uh, no, a, the other way around. A hero is only as good as their villain is bad. Yeah, and I and feel their like accomplishments it, are measured by the the obstacle they have to overcome. Yeah, and that's why it's. I mean, I'm, of course, in comic book movies, you do have the exceptions. You have the Joker, and you have, uh, and I feel like actually, of all the people to get villains right in the Marvel movies, are is Joss Whedon, right? Because with Loki and uh, Ultron, they are. I just feel like they are beings with strong personalities and you really know what they want and they have a presence and they make, and they're a real force to bounce off the heroes. Right. Let's get back to them in a minute. They are. Sure. Gonna, let's, let's put them like in on top shelf. Okay. Now. Okay. Cause we'll I look a little closer at them later, but let's see what else we have in all in these movies to, to look at. We're, what we're going to do is we're going to kind of take a general look at villainy right now. That's Since right. we've been talking about Deadpool, we're going to start with some superhero as, movies. As Orson Welles would say, downright villainy. Right. Uh, we're going <laughs> to – but we'll, we'll go to other other franchises, talking about other movies. All sorts of other movies. Uh, but here's where we're going to start. We're going to start with, like, the Marvel stuff. Okay. So let's see, like, first Marvel movie, Iron Man. The, the main Obadiah villain. Stane. Obadiah Stane, played by Jeff Bridges. He wants, he wants to have his own – Technology. He wants to take over Tony Stark's crew. I actually like the villain more so than certain other villains. Like I put him kind of in the middle. Yeah, he's he's kind of middling. I but let's talk about Obadiah Stane's plan. Yeah, he, he's been selling weapons to terrorists to yeah. insurgents. He's been playing the double game. He's yeah. been selling to both sides. Villainous. Make money, no matter what the cost. And then he also wants to take over Stark Enterprises. You know. But again, I guess just for the money and yeah. the power. And then all of a sudden he kind of goes crazy at the end and decides to take the Ironmonger armor and just fight it out. And I'm like, at that point, what is his end game? He becomes... I guess to take out Tony Stark. Yeah, but I mean, like, after that, like, even if he succeeds, what does he? what's his plan after that? Hmm. That's a problem with a lot of villains. It's... What's your plan after this point? Like that, that, that's, that's a that was a major problem I had with uh, Thor two. You saw Thor two? Yes, I did. Yeah, and you probably don't remember much of that movie because it wasn't a very memorable movie. But the problem with that movie, especially, was you had the villain. Oh, damn, if I remember his name, it was Christopher Eccleston. Yeah, he was somebody who. All right, I'm gonna basically destroy most of the universe. Yeah. And watching the movie, my thought was okay. And then what? Yes. <laughs> that was the ultimate example of that. 
what are right. you talking about? And let's go back to Iron Man. Like, Whipla- uh, Whiplash. Like, played oh, by... Iron Man 2. Yeah, Iron Man 2. He, uh, you know, he's played by Mickey Rourke. Yeah, at least with that, you have, like, revenge. I, I could uh, kind he, of understand. He's that. going for a general sort of revenge thing. He wants to ruin Tony Stark's name. But, like, does he seem like the kind of person who would be like, yes, I'm going to get revenge, no matter what else happens? No, I think, though, like, with Iron Man 2, um, I mean, that movie... You could argue maybe they're, they should have focused on one villain, and that movie had two. Uh, I mean, in that movie, the the more interesting villain is Justin Hammer. Yeah. He, well, he's. I don't think he's so much interesting as a villain. He's interest just as a character. Uh, he's not, he's the guy who is super slick and comes in the room. He's like, you need my resources. But he's but he's certainly not as slick as he thinks. Well, that's what makes him kind of funny too. He's, yeah. He's kind of a comical villain. Yeah. But then. All right, then Iron Man 3, we have, like, Aldrich Killian. And then he's like, okay, I'm going to fuel the war on terror and sell weapons to both sides and humiliate you. See, I... Everyone wants to humiliate Tony Stark. See, among all of the villain plots in the Iron Man movies, like, this is controversial because I know a lot of people have problems with Iron Man 3. I kind of love the... The whole thing with Iron Man 3 with the villains. Really? I'm somebody who actually... I really like the... The, the Mandarin twist. That That is cool. I, I, think, I like that. Okay, I'm glad you're on Especially my side Especially because that. it was Ben Kingsley in that yes. part. <laughs> and, and that, but that was, like a, that was like the opposite of Ronin. It yeah. Was, it, you had a big-name actor who was playing this villain who was supposed to be like an Iron Man. who was like Iron Man's arch nemesis back in like the, the 60s and 70s or something. Feel free to correct me, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. Uh, but then it's like, then you get the big reveal <laughs> And it completely undercuts everything. Yeah, but that's what I love about it. It actually it it gives a touch of satire to what you've been watching. Yeah. Like you know, we've been like kind of inundated with all this stuff about War on Terror, and especially through the media. And then before that, The Dark Knight Rises had come out, and that and and the Mandarin in Iron Man Three was playing that sort of Bane part, where it's like, "I'm here to teach you. I'm here to teach lesson. you a lesson." Yeah. yeah, and then Gotham is yours. Yeah. Oh, God, <laughs> you sound a bit like Jimmy Stewart. Gotham <laughs> is trying to do an impression of Bane. You you go all over the place yeah. sometimes, trying to make him sound like Sean Connery, and I go into Jimmy Stewart. Yes, <laughs> yes, we will destroy Gotham, and uh, you have my permission to die. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, uh, yeah. But anyway, so in Iron Man, but 3, then but then let's get to the main villain. But so like, Aldrich Killing, yeah, he's. He's okay. Yeah. But then he does, he, he commits the cardinal sin of villainy, which is he captures the hero who is the one man who can possibly stop him and he doesn't kill him. He captures the hero? What? He captures Tony Stark. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. And then oh, he, God. And yeah, then he much. explains his plan and he <sighs> leaves him alive. Yeah. <laughs> Now, and I, leaves him to go and fetch his hundred Iron Man suits. Yeah. <laughs> All right, okay, granted, he didn't know he could do that. But, I mean, for God's sakes, we, we've seen this cliche for perhaps a century. It is one of the flaws of the movie. But this is a flaw that comes up in a ton of movies. Yeah. You have wa- this villain who's like only concern is like, I'm gonna be I'm gonna get more money or I'm gonna get more power. That, and that's their primary drive. That that was my main that was a problem I had with it was a different motivation, but when I watched Spectre 
Hmm. Um, I don't know if I mentioned this because again, I only had two minutes to talk about that movie when we reviewed it. But all right, so you have this, you have uh, Bond, you know, stra- once again as we've seen him in so many movies, strapped to the uh, the gurney, whatever it is, and he has a torture device that the villain is enacting on him. Yeah. And of course the villain is explaining how, you know, Blofeld is explaining that, you know, I am actually your half brother and I, I'm doing, doing a bad Christoph Waltz. But the point is he, he's talking and it's like, you do know that Austin Powers made fun of this kind yes. of movie in the nineties. And yet, you know, uh, that was a problem I had with the movie. It's like, all right, as, yeah, cool, expect- as much as I like seeing Christoph Waltz in this character, you're not showing me anything new. Yeah, you expect Seth Green to come down and say, look, I got a gun. We'll (laughs) we'll bring a gun, shoot him in the head. Bam! And, like, he's giving Bond ample time to find a way out. Yes. And now, you know, who knows, maybe he would eventually kill him, but, yeah, it's like, I'm going to put you into an over-elaborate torture device and uh, stop doing that that, Dr. Evil shit. But then it's, it's, it's a character inconsistency. Where you have these characters who are like extremely oh, so smart, who are, who are so who are like smart and they're practical and they have these very practical goals. I mean, more money, more power, and then they do the least practical to, things to, to play devil, to the hero. To play devil's advocate, right. maybe the reason is that the or this is like the writer thought. I don't know, all right. but you know they have all this intellectual prowess, but they let their emotions get the better of them. I'm not saying that it's always the case, but maybe, like, in the case of something like with Blofeld, if you're having, like, the thing, well, now he's his half-brother, as stupid as that is, all right, maybe because he's so emotional, he wants to see him suffer before he kills him. I'm not saying it's a particularly strong point. Now, that has some merit, but let's put that on the shelf, too, along with Loki and Ultron. All right. And we'll get back to that. We'll put them on the shelf with the Loki and Ultron action figures, and, um... And we'll get, yeah... So, well, um, all right. So, um, and now one of the things that you did, and I actually took a quick glance at this, and I don't want to talk about this for too long, but you took a list, list at, look at the AFI top 100 list of villains, heroes and villains. Heroes and villains. Now, some of these, I, I agree. Some of these are actually some of my favorite villains. There are also people it's, who I, I don't know if I can necessarily call them a villain all the time. Like well, on the list. It, forgive me if I'm wrong, but I saw Travis Bickle hmm. from Taxi Driver. I look at him as more... Again, you haven't seen the movie, but he's more of an anti-hero. Yeah. Like, well, the it's... fact that he's on a villain list just kind of shows a lack of imagination for whoever put together mm-hmm. this list. There are other things that on this list that are counted as villains that I wouldn't really consider villains at all. Yeah, well, like... like do you count Norman Bates as a villain? I would. I don't know, because I... He, yeah, he he is the person who is the antagonist of the story, but by the end, there's almost like this weird sympathy I feel for Norman Bates. Well, you it, it's you can feel sympathy for a villain. Yeah, that's not those two things are not mutually exclusive. Well, that's like on this list they put Darth Vader, right? But they don't put the Emperor. No, Darth and Vader I, is the stronger villain of those two. Uh, y- 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 you're kidding, right? I mean, if you're thinking about, oh, who's the villain of Star Wars? Well, the first Star Wars movie you're talking about, or the series in general? The series. No, the Emperor is the mo- Palpatine is the villain of that 
of those first six movies. Well, but if you want to be technical and say, he's oh, a much oh, more interesting the, the emperor was like, he's the no, puppet that, that, master. That's just pedantry right there. No, I, oh, I mean, Darth, is Darth Vader a good villain? Yes, but he's also a character who, I, I mean, I guess part of it is that in the end he gets kind of redeemed. So that makes it a little bit different. But no, I, I totally disagree with you there. But it's Darth Vader's wishes and his wants that are most directly opposed to those of the hero. Um, oh, you mean Luke? Well, the heroes in general. I mean, in Empire, he's the one who's constantly pursuing okay, uh, Har- uh, Han Solo and Leia. I mean, he... It, what his plans are what drives when you're the, all right but when you're watching like return of the jedi or you know you could say about other things of the movie revenge of the sith like palpatine is the villain of those movies i mean he is such a good villain he's somebody who revels in evil whereas darth vader is somebody who i've i've chosen the dark side i am doing this i am committed to being a, a bastard but I, I don't know. Like, is Darth Vader a good villain? Yes. Like, he is, you know, probably one of the most fascinating characters in that whole series. But I, I don't know. I think Palpatine's a much more interesting character. I don't think Palpatine has the same sort of significance that Darth Vader does. I don't know. He's, but he's the one that orchestrates everything that ha- ends up happening in the, the universe. He creates the Empire. Oh well, yeah, but in the prequels, that's not made. You don't see exact. You don't see what he's doing. All right, I would. I will. I'll give you that in, in episode four and episode five, Darth Vader's the villain. Okay. (laughs) And in those movies, yeah, yeah, no, no, he he is a strong. He is the he is a good villain in those for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, actually, I'd even say great villain in Empire. I guess I just. When I asked you that question, I was just a little taken aback. He's the one who's force-choking everybody. <laughs> I mean, what does the Emperor do? Yeah. He fails to shock Luke Skywalker to death. He almost got there. It's just he was just not quite done yet. Mm. I don't know. I don't think that's a failure on his part. But there are other things on this list that I wouldn't consider villains. Okay, like who? Jaws. The shark from Jaws. <laughs> well, yeah, that's that's just stupid. The like, alien you, from you, Alien. The, I I thought about that. You, I don't count animals as villains unless if it's like a very, I don't know, very specific example. Because like that's more of an example of like a force of nature. Yeah. Like I mean, you're fighting like a shark that you know doesn't you know doesn't do anything but swim and eat. Yeah. That's that's like a that's almost like a tornado. Yeah. You know, you, I, you're Jaws... you're just fighting to save your life. That's not really. Like, now, now, if you're talking about Jaws 4, by that point, you had, like, the shark actively attacking no members of his family. No one has ever talked about Jaws 4. <laughs> Roger Ebert and Gene Siskel talked about Jaws 4, and it was awesome. Yeah. Uh, but, I, but, but, but the shark has no morality. No, the, the, the sh- shark has no will other than its own instincts. It, it's a stupid I, it's, it's a It's a sort of distorted will that, you know, most sharks do not actively kill people oh, no, or no. even kill it's... a large amount of people no no most sharks i mean a shark only it doesn't really see people as it doesn't make moral judgments like that it just sees it as something i can eat or or this is something i can do now I, th- 
the the shark ate a lot of people, which is not something normal for sharks. But it didn't do it because it wanted to kill people. It's not a serial killer. Yeah, I mean, it's like it's the same thing with the alien in Aliens. Yeah. The xenomorphs are not this sort of space conquering race that want to assimilate all living beings. They are just a surviving species that are just well adapted to kill everything. Yeah, there it's. You can't make it. You can't make a villain out of something that has no moral reasoning. No, yeah. no. It it that that is just putting that they put that on the list so that when they did their TV special, they could include a clip from Jaws. Yeah. Um. Too, but nice as I try, guys. Well, as I said though, I mean, I don't think that uh, you know the the fact that they have Travis Bickle on there, they kind of missed the point of that character. Like, there's a lot of you know, I talk about gray area like when scorsese scorsese talks about taxi driver he talks about the concept of what does it mean to be a hero mm-hmm. you know travis you know yeah he ends up killing people but he's sort of but he's doing it in a way to kind of like save this girl from a life of being a child prostitute now could you have gone about that a better way sure but again that's where you get into the gray area of, of, of things i mean it's well, like a more reserved more handsome deadpool yeah yeah um <laughs> no, no, how about not. here's one that i wanted to ask you about because i mean you're, you're an animation guy i am man in bambi huh that's like a i guess it's like, again that's another thing where you almost talk about like a force of nature it's like the this deer... is the inverse of the force of nature where the villain to nature is man. Yeah, well, man is the most dangerous uh, the, the creature. Mo- the most evil animal yeah. ever existed. Uh, I don't know. I, I, mean, I, I, I guess it is, the pre- it is the sort of villainous force, but there's not really... When we talk about villainy, it's more like, here's the main obstacle of the movie, the fact that there's this presence out there that will, you know, kill us right, but let's think about it this but we way. never if, get to know man in right, Bambi. We, we can't call a force of nature evil because it has no moral reasoning yeah man is all about moral reasoning but we never get to know man as a character no but that doesn't mean it's not villainous i mean do any all i mean they're the hunters in bambi and they also they, there's also like a campfire that sets the whole forest on fire yeah i mean from the perspective of the animals, was anything that man that man was doing moral? Hmm. I yeah. We I don't see any point. of those people as characters that, or we don't see man at all in that film. Mm-hmm. But I mean, it's like, <laughs> were any of those people like hunting like to survive? Were they setting up campfires just to keep warm? Or were they just, like, hunters who like to go hunting and shoot animals because it's fun? Now, yeah. whether no matter, now you could fall on different sides of that argument, whether hunting is moral or not. But certainly within the confines of Bambi, <laughs> the actions of the hunters are devastating. Yeah. Oh, no, no, for sure. I mean, the, <laughs> and the, the, no... the actions of the hunters have made children cry all over the, the world. Yeah. Yeah, screw man. Yeah, man. Um, yeah, I mean a couple other things this list. Um, again, t- kind of talking about blurring the lines a little bit. Um, like, oh, hold on. I forget my list. Um, I Jack Torrance in The Shining. 
in like that's a case where he becomes he becomes a villain in like the last section of the movie. But I don't know if I see him as a villain for like the whole movie. That doesn't matter. I, I mean, know. I guess who's the he? No, no, no. He is. Uh, well, yeah. But he's there's a part of me that when I look at Jack Torrance in that movie, like I try to look at things from multiple sides, and it's like there's a there's a small part of me that feels bad for him. Well, yeah, because he's like he's somebody who's gotten completely messed up by being in this house. Yeah, I. But that doesn't mean he doesn't make a choice. No. Yeah. No. No. Sure. Like, like he yeah. is fully invested in killing his family in that <laughs> he, movie. He goes totally crazy, but yeah, he he is. No one is forcing him to pick up that axe and chop people up. Yeah, I mean, he's being influenced certainly, but uh, it's it's really not. It's uh, it's a little more clear cut, I think, than you're, than yeah. you're suggesting. Now, um, of course, the, the one of the things with this list it brought up a lot of the great villains, though. Of course, I mean, Nurse Ratched. Right. One for the cuckoo's nest. Uh, Frank Booth, Blue Velvet. <laughs> That's almost a case where pretty cartoonish. He's a great villain just by force of Dennis Hopper. But here, here's another one that that's on the list that I think goes back to our idea of people who are in it for the money. Mm. Harry Lime. Mm, oh, I, I don't think anyone doubts that Harry Lime is villainous. No, 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 I don't. But but let's get a little bit into his motivation. He is watering down penicillin. To sell to children's hospitals. It's clearly terrible things. And he's just in it for the money. Yeah. I mean, he the way that he explains it to uh, uh, to um, his, his to Joseph Cotton, it's just something about that. I think sometimes, you know, when I, I talk about this with the Marvel movies, going back to that, if imagine like Orson Welles is the villain in Deadpool. I mean, that might have given Ryan Reynolds some stiff competition. <laughs> the dead are better off dead. <laughs> yeah, the but, dead but, are better off dead. Deadpool. <laughs> but but I think it's a different kind of thing. Remember, I I, yeah, I, yeah, no, I told you that villains who are only in it for the money aren't particularly compelling. And yet Harry Lime is right. But I think I know why. Okay. There are villains in it for the money who are compelling, but they exist and make sense within a very specific genre. Of film noir. Yeah. Film noir villains are in it for the money all the time. Oh, yeah. And they do terrible things. But still, they're compelling. If you have a movie like Iron Man or, or like an action film, that's a completely different universe with a completely different outlook on what the world is. When you get into like film noir, like Chinatown, where you have Noah Cross and his whole plan. And then you have uh, people in whatever. Well, well, with Noah, well, with Noah Cross, the villainy is also based on who he is as a person, his sort of complete lack of morals and the fact that he's also a, you know, a, a rapist. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and, and an all around terrible person. <laughs> and yet, oh man, John Houston in that role. I, I just, I could, I could watch that scene over and over again. Yeah. The future, Mr. Gets. the future. Yeah. i and that that goes to this idea. Your wife mentioned this: the banality of evil, mm. where it's just you have these protagonists who are going, uh, who are trying to make sense of this world that's completely against them, and they and it's just people do horrible things for no other reason than it profits. Them. Yeah, and it's 
it works that way, I think, only in film noir. To have someone so focused on greed and upon gaining more power. Yeah, well, that's also... Yeah, I mean, the context of The Third Man is that it's post-war. You're in this uh, area of Europe where it's like where four countries meet. Vienna. Yeah, Vienna. Um, and it's... Uh, yeah, and it's some it's a place where somebody like Harry Lyme is is compelling because of yeah, his the fact and yet I, there's a part of me though that feels like as evil as he is Orson Welles makes him feel like a real person. Sure. That's sometimes a problem too. It's just something as basic as how many dimensions do you have as a character? Yeah. A big problem of course with a lot of the Marvel villains is how much dimension do you actually have? Not much. Whereas can I take Loki off the shelf for a second? Go ahead. All right. Let me take you, Loki action figure. I'll play with you. Um, he he feels like he has a lot of dimension. It also helps that you know he's set up in Thor, and in, it's interesting because in Thor he's the villain, even though he's just okay in that movie. But right. I guess in general that movie's okay. But you kind of need it's but it's important that he's there so that you set it up a little bit for the Avengers, right? So that even though. Yeah, Loki isn't in the movie in quite as much time as the other Avengers. He is... He has other wants. I mean, he is taking over the universe. He feels slighted because he feels like he should be king. Right. Loki wants power, but there's a lot of reasoning behind that. Yeah. Which he probably wouldn't even admit to himself. It's like... There's a lot of ego. A lot of baggage. (laughs) A lot of baggage. A lot of... uh, is to say the least god complex yeah i he wants to take over the world quite literally mm-hmm. and he's going to do a lot whatever he wants to do it i mean that's i mean that's his goal but he's doing it for very for very interesting reasons yeah he you know not only does he want it but he also it's not an accident that he decided to take over the earth mm-hmm. he's doing it to get back at his brother he's doing it to get back at uh his father to a certain extent he's doing it in a, in a way to make a mockery of all the heroes that earth has yeah like you think you're so awesome you are just you are pawns you are checkers in a mad game well, of, that, and that also connects Parcheesi. and then that also connects a little bit to Ultron, who yeah. even though he's a robot, he's somebody who you know he's Tony Stark technically created him, and yet he becomes like a monster of Tony Stark's own creation, where he's somebody who laughs at humanity and thinks like, "Oh, you humans, you just don't get it, do you? <laughs> you just don't get it, do you?" Yeah, I don't know if he even says that. Have you seen that montage of how many times that line gets used in movies? Oh no! Oh, I'll show you that. that. I'll out. show that to you later. But uh, but but Ultron, he has this. He sees humanity, and you know he's this advanced AI, and he's again a super smart villain who just leaves people alive for some reason. <laughs> yeah, but and yet I don't know if that's necessarily a well. I don't know if that's necessarily a flaw with him. I didn't have as much a problem with that than I did in other movies, right. and it's hard for me to explain why, but. Um, but but he has this vision of what the world is supposed to be. Yeah, I, and that's I think sometimes uh, a compelling worldview will make a villain much more interesting than someone who is just in it for the money. Yeah. So let me get. So let me talk about my favorite villain. This Please. is my absolute favorite villain from movies. 
Oh, okay. John Doe from Seven. Okay. He, I think, he in my mind is the perfect villain. Mm. Because he is a person. He's not in it for the money. Mm. He does all these terrible crimes, but none of them are really personal. Mm. He's actually unemotional throughout this whole f- thing. It's more comfortable for you to label me insane. It's very comfortable. It's not something I would expect you to accept. But I did not choose. I was chosen. Whatever. I don't doubt that you believe that, John. But it seems to me that you're overlooking a glaring contradiction. Meaning what? Glad you asked. If you were chosen, that is, by a higher power, if your hand was forced, it seems strange to me that you would get such enjoyment out of it. You enjoyed torturing those people. This doesn't seem in keeping with martyrdom, does it? John. I doubt I enjoyed it any more than Detective Mills would enjoy time alone with me in a room without windows. Isn't that true? How happy would it make you to hurt me with impunity? That hurts my feelings. I would never. You wouldn't only because there's consequences. It's in those eyes of yours, though. Nothing wrong with a man taking pleasure in his work. I won't deny my own personal desire to turn each sin against the sinner. Wait a minute. I thought all you did was kill innocent people. Innocent? Is that supposed to be funny? And I think what makes a great villain is this sense of mission. Hmm. Like, remember Bane in The Dark Knight Rises? He, he's, all, he's all about, like, I'm going to teach you or I'm going to show you. And yeah. I, and even though that's not pulled off so so well in The Dark Knight, in The Dark Knight Rises, no. John Doe has the same idea. Mm-hmm. I he He's all... I, I'm not going to... I won't spoil Seven, even though we did a whole episode about yeah, it. Yeah, and you can check that out if you want to yeah, dig in. Yeah, but he has a purpose. He is doing this in a way to teach. I mean, Morgan Freeman even says that in in the film. Mm-hmm. It's like, he's preaching. Yeah. All of these crimes he's he's committed are, an, are a bizarre, morbid object lesson. Mm. And it has nothing to do with personal gain. It has nothing to do with power. It's kind of it's weirdly selfless what he's doing hmm. and although it's, it's I, I don't know though. and self and selfless i don't know though about that because i do think that there's a part there hmm because i feel yeah, like though there the, is a part of him though that it is important that he's doing it though well i mean he has to take a certain Agency. He has to take agency, and he has to be accountable for his own actions. Uh, but I don't think he was ever interested in not exposing himself. The one problem with that villain is that... Uh, no, again, and he is a great villain. The only problem with that villain is how it's been sort of taken and used in other movies not that well. And ultimately, I'm talking about the Saw series. Yeah, well, that's, where a, that's a problem. That is basically taking John Doe from Seven... And kind of missing part of the... It, it's just an excuse to have lots of fancy killings. Yeah, I mean, Jigsaw in the seven films, he lacks perspective. Saw films. Sorry. <laughs> the seven films. <laughs> Coming next year, 7.2. 7.2. <laughs> <laughs>
No, not seventy-two. Seven-two. Oh my god, that I gotta add that not, that to my list of worst sequel ideas ever. <laughs> seven-two. That could go along. The sevening. Well, that's like. Well, there are actual sequels like that. This is just an aside, but like I when I because I, I listen sometimes to this podcast, how this get made. Yeah. They had an episode about Easy Rider Two, The Ride Home. <laughs> Which doesn't involve Peter Fonda. It was made after Dennis Hopper died. And, um, and of course, at the end of Easy Rider, spoilers, uh, both Peter Fonda and Dennis Hopper die. And so it has nothing to do with Easy Rider. That's like the Blues Brothers, too. Well, well, no, the Blues Brothers, too, has something to do with Blues Brothers. It's just that Blues Brothers 2000 sucks. Yeah. <laughs> um, can I talk about my favorite villain? Uh, well, what, let's, uh, weren't you about to say something else about, uh, John Doe? No, well... Well, the, the sort of copycat thing. Yeah, that's the only oh, problem. I, I, I was going to that... say something. The, the problem with Jigsaw in the seven films is that he lacks perspective. Like, all this stuff, he's like, I'm going to teach you a lesson, but it's only, like, one person. John Doe had scope to his plans. John Doe had, like, I want to show ambition. humanity. Yeah, he, he was. This was like his gospel to humanity, and and Jigsaw is just like, I'm I'm gonna teach you a lesson by killing you, and no one will ever see it. Well, no, well, no, he the, the the guy. Well, somebody else will be like video footage while people are trapped in a room. Yeah, and then I have to cut off my leg. <laughs> now you can make that compelling in a way because I mean the idea of this person who's trying to who's making these people into these lessons can be good, but you have to also kind of be aware in the film about his limited impact. Hmm. You have to like point out the flaws in his plan. And there are so many flaws in yeah. the Saw movies, especially <laughs> but, that first movie. But who's your favorite villain? Um, Well, I mean, I mentioned Nurse Ratchet a moment ago, and I think if I had to pick one and maybe put a gun to my head, Pick a favorite villain! Okay! Yeah. <laughs> you can do it, man! You can do it! Uh, you know, like in deer, deer Hunter style. What I, what I love about Nurse Ratched is that she's somebody who... She is in a position where she has the power to help people. Like, genuinely so. Like, she runs a, a mental health board. Or, you know, an institution. Yeah. She and she's in charge it. of the people. And... It uh, Milos Foreman talked about this like in an interview, like that she almost kind of had a had a slight representation of being like the big other in communism. Like we will we we will tell you what is right to do. We will like because Nurse Ratched is this immovable force, which mm. you know again up against somebody like Jack Nicholson's character in the movie. It, you know it's uh, that's where the rivalry comes in, and yet. There's something about her where it's like she puts on the air of, I'm I'm here to help you. I'm I have this completely thing, and yet there's no, like she completely lacks any real compassion, and it makes her like such a dangerous person in the position that she's in. She's like, uh, she she has great power over people who are sensibly powerless. Yes, yes, that and that makes her. Of, it, that makes her a villain in that situation, but it also can apply to other in real life yeah. outside the institution. If you're trying to look up to somebody who can help you and they are manipulating you and, you know, not really and like not really helping you a point that would help you progress. I mean, one of the 
one of those key scenes in uh, the movie is when like they're trying he Nicholson wants to try to get a vote to you know to try get, watch a a ball game, and you know she says let's put it to a vote, and uh, and then at first none of the none of the inmates will really go with him, but then he does something to get them on. Right. They vote again, and now everybody in the group is on his side, right. and he's like oh man it's a landslide, and she's like. There are 18 people on this ward, and you have to have a majority to have a vote. And it's like everybody else in the ward are total nut nutcases. And it's like this sort of thing where I'm here to help you, but I'll change the rules as I see fit. Like, it's this person who it's just, oh, man, you just can't stop hating this person, especially because of, again, the position that she's in, how, like, placid she is how she barely ever changes her expression hmm. um you know it's uh and the way that louise lasser plays her is also a big part of it i guess in the same way that like kevin spacey is john doe yeah plays it in such a way where it's like there's no passion no he yeah there's no passion to it that's what the thing about with nurse ratchet um they, they are in a way in their own way objective yeah and, and they have and they think clearly and that i think as a runner-up i think if i had if i had to pick a number two because i was just re-watching this yesterday and i put the clip up on the wages of cinema facebook page anton chigur hmm. he's somebody who i guess you could say he has lots of passion but he's also like just stone cold nurse ratchet she, she to me, she seems to stand for the institution. Yes. I mean, she's not necessarily just what she does isn't what she what she does what she does, not because it's necessarily what she wants to do, but it's because this is how the hospital is supposed to work. Yeah, and like, but the thing is, she never does. She she sticks so much to that line. She's yeah. she's just she you know it's almost like a metaphor for the the opposition. Now this is actually unique to me because I saw I saw one flew over the cuckoo's nest when I was in high school okay. and my mom is a nurse hmm. and she would tell stories all the time about the patients she would have who often had some sort of psychiatric problem or were drug drug addicts. Okay, and a lot of them. Uh, you know, they're sometimes out of control, and uh, you couldn't necessarily reason with with them. And so, and I I thought about that in relation to the movie, like being a nurse, where you're in control, you're in, you're taking care of people who are mental patients. How do you control the situation? Nurse Ratchet had clearly found the way to control the situation and was trying to maintain that. Yes. And then Jack Nicholson, uh, what's his character's name? McMurphy. McMurphy. He comes in and he has a different perspective. And it's, and you know, that's where the conflict comes from. It's yeah. Their, it's their perspectives that clash. Mm -hmm. And she's not, I, and she didn't necessarily, and at that moment, she didn't strike me as malevolent. She was trying to pursue order the best way she knew how. Yes. And yet. But in the scope of that story, though, I guess part of it is because, again, we're, we're sort of on McMurphy's side here. Well, there, we identify with McMurphy. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure I've even read a few people online over the years who actually say, oh, but, but Nurse Ratchet was just trying to do the best for her patients. And I guess I could see your point if she actually was really 
like genuinely compassionate if she actually had some kind of empathy but she doesn't she's just there to get people talking to get, you know to to diffuse situations to be sort of that face yeah. that's something that makes her dangerous to me i don't know you, uh, again it part of you it you make a good point yeah she lacked compassion yeah and, and, that, and you eventually... need at least some of that when you're in like the mental health world and especially Although, especially in that time in like the early 60s when they still you know electroshocked and lobotomized people like they did well it's not an environment of compassion when you can shock people into submission <laughs> yeah um i yeah it's i guess maybe you could i mean at least i mean the least you could say is that there would be a better way to do it than the way she does and but at the worst she was actively not like the thing was that she gave the air of I'm helping you, but in the but on the other hand, I'm not really helping you. Again, if you're just keeping the status quo, a very impersonal, exactly uh, way of trying to help people. Yes, and right. I, I feel like kind of indifference is like so frightening. Hmm. If that's another way of point. You, yeah, that's that's a that's a pretty good argument. Actually. All right. Uh, can I bring up Andon Chigurh again? No. No. Bring him up. Go ahead. I was like falling off the, my chair. Um, well, he, he he's someone who like when we talk about like he's a character who you know in the plot of the story he's going after a guy who stole drug money, and yet he's somebody who doesn't really care about money. No, he's just he, he's a killer who has like these completely warped uh, concepts about like how. The only thing that's right is uh, chance. You know what I wonder about in No Country for All Night? Mm -hmm. The drug people take him out to where the money was stolen. Who takes... Oh, oh, they take out Shigur, yeah. Yeah, and he, and like, he has that tracker thing yeah. that he's looking for. And he's like, oh, nothing here. And he shoots those two guys? Yeah. Why? I mean... They saw his face. That's it? Yeah, pretty much. Well, then how did people contact him? I mean... <laughs> He, uh, he, I guess he... I, I mean, Anton Sugar does re, does things for reasons that are all his own. Yeah. But that, to me, seemed to be the, not, not the least reasonable, but the least difficult to, no, wait, you, I, you, I fixed you, up my you words. Didn't, you didn't quite get why he did that. No, I didn't. Okay. Um... <laughs> I think that it's just because, like, he has, again, he has this weird moral code. I mean, because you could ask, why doesn't he just shoot everybody he comes across? But then, like, for some people, he will just shoot you sight unseen, and other people, he'll give you the coin toss. Call it. Call it, yes. For a whole lot. Just call it. Well... We need to know what we're calling it for here. You need to call it. I can't call it for you. Well, it wouldn't be fair. I didn't put nothing up. Yes, you did. You've been putting it up your whole life. You just didn't know it. You know what date is on this coin? No. 1958. It's been traveling 22 years to get here. And now it's here. And it's either heads or tails. And you have to say, call it. Look, I need to know what I stand to win. Everything. How's that? You stand to win everything. Call it. Now, it's... and oh, he has his own internal criteria for, you know, 
who gets the coin toss, who gets sh- shot out well, of hand. Well, there's a well, there's a key point where he goes into this office and he shoots. Uh, what's his name? Stephen Root. He's the guy who's kind of like one of the people really in charge of all the drug stuff. Right. You might not remember that, but he goes into this room. He shoots Stephen Root, and there's this other guy in the room. And Anton Chigurh has this uh, conversation with him, and this guy is just like in accounting or something. And uh, and he asks Anton Chigurh, "Are you going to kill me?" And Anton Chigurh turns around. And he's like, "That depends. You see me." It's like that moment, like. Uh, um, Once Upon a Time in the West. Yeah, now that you've mentioned my name. <laughs> yeah, of oh, Henry Fonda in that movie. Here, that's the other thing about villains. Villains do, good villains, do what they do for, for a reason. Hmm. I noticed this when I saw Serenity. Mm. That, oh, the Ch- Chihuahua Leggio for. Yeah, that guy. What, that, Joss Whedon and his villains, man. Yeah. I, a good villain does what he does for a reason. Like, you can have a villain just kill a few underlings. Yeah. But if you, but uh, that's not intimidating, really, because he didn't do it for any reason. And then you say, "Oh, he did it because he's crazy." And it's like, well, if he's crazy, why is he a threat? Because crazy people, I'm, as crazy as they are, aren't very threatening. I'm trying to remember what his motivation was in that movie. I mean, but that was the thing with No Country for Old Men. I mean, no matter how he nebulous was a, he was, a real seemed, well, he was almost like a shark. In human form. <laughs> you want to talk about something that you just can't stop. Yeah. I mean, the tagline of that movie is you can't stop what's coming. Right. But no matter how no matter how nebulous it seemed, Shigura seemed to do everything for a reason. Yeah. Even if the reason was in his own he, mind. He was a shark with a moral code. Yeah. <laughs> I still don't understand why he shot those two people who I, were helping I think him. that it was because they were... Because... They, I don't know. I'm, I'm trying I think to... it's because those people, like, seemed... To be on his side, or at least assisting him in some way. Like, here's what we need you to do. Here's the stuff you need to do it. But maybe he doesn't like, care. Maybe he's just out to kill everybody. I don't know. It's all about getting the money. I but, but then uh, get back to the villains. They do what they do for a reason. Yes. And it's and that reason has to be more compelling than just get money, get power. Hans Gruber. Right. He's somebody who we've talked about before. I mean, we talked about Alan Rickman when he passed on. Right. He's somebody who, he surprises you in a way because at first he just seems like a terrorist. And then he reveals, you know, to Mr. Takagi, you know, what, it's just about a heist? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And again, he's motivated by money, but what he does, he does for a reason. He doesn't start shooting hostages out of hand because he likes it. It's like people are able to talk to him, like uh, Holly uh, Mm. McLean. She comes up to him and says, look, we need certain things. We just want a couch. We want to be able to go to the bathroom. He's like, all right, we'll we'll figure something out. And he seems – and you understand what he's doing. And he doesn't have that moment where he doesn't shoot Bruce Willis except for when – He's he's hunting for he, he, Bruce he's, Willis. He, he's a cold, he's a cold guy. Like I mean, he you know he shoots Takagi when he doesn't necessarily have to, but that also sets up who he is too. I mean, yeah. I'm going to count to three, and he's like, I don't know the code. You'll just have to kill me. All right. Yeah. <laughs> and he, and he kind of I guess he kind of had to follow through on that one because Takagi was useless to him at that point. Yeah. But then he does plan to kill all the hostages. But he does that for an impo- for another important reason to cover up the crime. 
or, mm-hmm. or you know, give him some chance to, to right. escape. Um, all right. Now, I'd like to bring up something which, uh, you know, we talk, we we often ask you to send in your questions or comments into the podcast. And uh, we actually got a response uh, when I posted uh, a link uh, earlier today uh, about our episode recording about villains. And we got a question from uh, on Facebook page from Pedro Sebastian Pizarro Rojas. Hey, uh, Pizarro Rojas. Yes, thank you for listening. We've seen you post a lot and uh, follow us on uh, on SoundCloud. And thank you. Um, he asks us, who's the villain in Pulp Fiction? Offhand, I would say there is no villain. I would say that there is, but it's not particularly because at first you is think... it the rednecks in the pawn shop yeah <laughs> <laughs> i mean they're just out to they're just out for rape <laughs> yeah and it happens and they're pretty open to it like they're they are ready to do it at a moment's notice <laughs> uh, as soon as they catch their flies so to speak yeah what's interesting in that movie is that i mean i mean it's a movie about crooks but nobody's really a villain in it right well i mean everybody's just kind of going about their there's stories. I mean, uh, there's conflict. Yeah, there's co- con- there's a lot of conflict, but there's no one villain, which is no. interesting because in most other Tarantino movies, he loves villains. Yeah, he's I mean, a big villain guy. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're talking about Inglorious Bastards. You're talking about Kill Bill, Django, Django, and uh, even even to an extent, um, you've seen Jackie Brown. I have not seen Jackie Brown. You make that a priority, sir. Yeah, go see ma'am. that movie. Okay. You you will enjoy it, I, I think. I Good. mean, you you seem to like Tarant- other Tarantino movies. Um, yeah, I mean, Bill. Although is... Reservoir Dogs, it's hard to say who the villain is. In no, that that's film. also a case where it's more about. Well, it's also like, is there? Well, Mr. could you, B- Mr. Blonde comes pretty well, can close you... to being a villain. <laughs> well, he's the one who's most sadistic, you could say. Yes, I mean, he's the one who is just out and out like. I'm just going to have fun with torturing a cop. I mean, that is like, it's hard to get on his side. I don't care what you know. I'm going to torture you anyway, regardless. Not to get information. It amuses me to torture a cop. You could say all you want, but I've heard all before. All you can do is pray for a quick death, which you ain't going to get. Yeah. (laughs) That's the same thing also, Hateful Eight. Hmm. Now that's an interesting one because you could say maybe Jennifer Jason Lee is uh um, is Daisy Domergue the villain? I don't know. Like cuz the whole movie's villains. <laughs> it's all people who are rotten scoundrels. It's hard because she doesn't do much. It depends on who you side with the most. I mean, if you end up I mean, you could sort of say if, if we're saying that Samuel Jackson and Kurt Russell are kind of our quote heroes who also happen to be kind of, you know, rot, rotten folks. Then you could say that the, the plot that ends up unfolding against them, you know, that's our conflict, but that's an interesting case. Like Tarantino, you either has those few movies where there are no villains or heroes, yeah. or you have movies where you have pretty distinct villains and usually heroic characters. Yeah. I mean, there are pretty distinct villains in a lot of them, but then a lot of his films are just characters who are at odds with each other. Mm. I, I think that describes the hatefully the best. I mean, you could say Jennifer, you could say Daisy Domergue is, is the villain because, you know, she's an outlaw. She's done terrible things and yeah. she, she, and she, uh, 
helps orchestrate the deaths of several people. But it's hard to say because in The Hateful Eight, they're very, you know, it's hard to say that one person is morally better than the others. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's uh, I mean, that's the thing with Reservoir Dogs too. I mean, maybe, I mean, who's the villain in there? Maybe Miss Night, maybe uh, Nice Guy Eddie, mm. maybe oh, what's his what's his dad's name? <laughs> uh, we'll play with Lawrence Joe. Tierney. Right. Joe, yeah, yeah, Lawrence Tierney. Yeah, I mean, are they the villains? I mean, they're they're probably the closest, but Them? maybe. But I, I mean, don't know about no, not really. I mean, they're the guys who head up the heist. They're... I mean, but if you go, if you say like. From a certain point of view, you could say that Mr. Orange is the villain. Yeah. Because he's the one who's the rat. Yeah. Spoiler. <laughs> but again, I guess there is no villain there because it's just characters at odds with each other. And that, and if you say that about about Reservoir Dogs, I, I say it's the same thing with Pulp Fiction. It's just people at odds with each other. Some yeah. who are more rotten than others, like in the case of the rapist hillbillies. <laughs> yeah, well, at first... I, you Not almost... hillbillies, rednecks. That's different. Well, I mean... For a short time in, yeah, I mean, because you could, is Marcellus Wallace isn't the villain. He's just the top dog. Yeah. Who's, you know, I mean, again, in, when he's going after Bruce Willis, you know, he's the biggest obstacle for Bruce Willis. He is the antagonist. He's the antagonist, and yet he ends up getting put into a position, uh, in a matter of speaking, where he, uh, yeah, he, he's... He has another villain who's worse than him. Yeah. Um, so about... I'm going to say, this is, I'm not trying to cop out on you, uh, Pizarro. Okay. But... Pedro. Pedro. That's one... Pedro, I think it was his first name. Pe Pizarro was one of his last names. Pedro Pizarro. Yeah. I'd say there is no villain of Pulp Fiction. Yes. Okay. Great. Um, talking about villains with codes, I mean, you mentioned Bane. I mean... The Joker, I think, is a character who almost is the uh, the sort of, like, top of the skyscraper when it comes to somebody like John Doe, you could say. Yes. Maybe he's even more... In The Dark Knight, he does have that sort of sense of mission. Mm -hmm. uh, he says, I want half the money to do this job and kill Batman. And then but he burns his money. But it's not about the money at all. It's just about, is... it's just about burning the city to the ground. It's like the Joker is trolling everybody in that movie. Yeah. He's trolling the people of well, Gotham, like saying, give me the Batman, or else. Well, the Joker does that in general. Yeah, he's trolling the mobsters, saying, I'm going to kill the Batman, you have to give me half your money, and I'm going to make everything better for you. Yeah. And I, I guess, like, the only person he takes... and You know, he's, he's trying to... And he's really... Uh, trolling the Batman the most. He's yeah. the one who he's most interested in. He's just playing everybody else. Yeah. So, and I guess the he is trying to teach everybody a lesson. It's like, all this stuff that you think is important is garbage. Yeah. I'm going to show you how garbage it is. For the mobsters, like, it's your money. For the people of Gotham, it's like, justice is a sham and society is a sham and batman is like your whole sense of mission is a sham and i don't care what i have to do to show you how much of a sham it is but i'm gonna sham you so bad yeah and it's like you know i'll stop all this if you take off your mask yeah oh sure i'm getting doing jerk off motion here you um, don't have to say that jack <laughs> but that's what the joker does he's like oh i'm just gonna i'm gonna stop as soon as you do this yeah um I mean, he does but that he in a does, lot of his incarnations. But I think what people don't, I think what people underestimate 
is is his sense of purpose. Ooh. He 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 gives lie to all these things that we take for granted. Yeah. Well, that's like uh, I mean, I, I I give an essay to my students. Should Batman kill the Joker? And right. it ends up being a very provocative question because everybody has a different answer to that question, and it depends on where you come from in justice and how you view what the Joker does as worth killing him or not. Right. And it ends up being a very interesting talk because, you know, some people are like, oh yeah, no, you gotta kill him. And then it also becomes what if Batman should kill, you know, what kind of position he's in with that. Yeah. That's a, that's a really great question. Yeah. It ends up being like, I got to talk about deontology and utilitarianism and all these topics that, Probably go over my students' heads, but hey, I'm just learning about it too. Hmm. Um, I don't know. So, where are some other villains? Uh, you know what I feel like has good villains? I mean, I mentioned Frank in uh, Once Upon a Time in the West. I feel like there are good villains in Leone movies. I think, like uh, Lee Van Cleef. Yeah, Lee Van Cleef. He is a per- he is again another villain who does who kind of like Sugar does what he does for a reason. I mean, there he's people, out for money. There are people he kills, but there are people he doesn't kill, and it's significant when he doesn't kill. Like he hmm. he's looking for all this information about this 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 yeah. money shipment. He kills the person who tells him about it. He kills the person who sends him on the job to find about it. And then he interrogates this prostitute who tells him where to find the guy, and he doesn't kill her. Yeah, because I think she didn't know the context. She didn't know it was because of this cash box. For uh, for all she knew, like he was just looking for this man. And so he's like, eh, don't need to kill her. There. Yeah. That's that's a, that, that make that's a great point. I There's I, more to him than the money. He has some depth to him. Yes. Yeah, he uh yeah, it's it's a uh, I mean, among the three characters, he is the bad for a good reason. Right. But uh like, there's that moment where he's like, you know, I think he had the idea, like, he's hired by some guy, and he comes to this guy in his bed, and he's like, well, you know, I, I think he had the idea that I'd kill you, but you know what that, about what is with me? I always follow through when I'm asked to do a job. You know that. Yeah. And he just shoots the guy. That was just a clever thing to say, though. He was killing him because he, I know, he but didn't the fact want that more he, people to know about that money. Yeah. The fact that he says that, though, I love that because he doesn't monologue. He just says that one thing. Which As Eli Wallach says later in the movie, if you have to shoot, shoot, don't talk. Uh, yeah. God, I love the good, the bad, and yeah. the ugly. Also, an underrated villain, though, for me, too, is... Uh, you seen Four For You Dollars More? Yes. In El Indio in that movie, I think, is kind of an interesting villain. He's interesting. But, uh, no, not as much as uh, Angel Eyes or Frank. No. But he does things like... For a few dollars more, has a more meandering plot. And it's like... And Clint Eastwood and, and Lee Van Cleef, they infiltrate his gang. Yeah. And they they pull off the robbery and everything. And then later, El Indio says, I knew that they were bounty hunters all along. And it's like, well, then why didn't you... Why did you let them come along with you? <laughs> I wonder how... Um, you know, how much he knew that that's yeah that's a good question that's maybe good he point. was just faking it as far yeah, yeah. Uh, here's a good one that's not on your list um agire oh yeah he he's kind of the he, the the star and the villain of his own story <laughs> just the, saying him it's like we're kind of getting giddy but but the thing was with Ag- agire I, he was a bloodthirsty tyrant but it's not like he was 
at odds a lot with with everybody else. It's like hmm. we're going down the Amazon. I'm gonna take you with me. I'm gonna be crazy while I do it, but we're all going down the Amazon. But and did I'll they, execute but did they most know? of you. Well, does he? <laughs> do they really believe him though? I don't know. <laughs> it's hard <laughs> watching Aguirre. It's hard to know what what everyone's looking for because they're like they're all in the jungle and it's miserable and they just. And then they and after a while yeah. they stop caring about being alive because and, and and they have no purpose they're just drifting down the river purposelessly. So I can't. And even it's say, something about Geary though he was kind of a villain of that movie. I mean he wasn't a good. I am Geary, the wrath of God. I will marry my fifteen-year-old daughter and create a new civilization. Yeah. Um. I. Uh, <sighs> The jungle is my home. <laughs> I will perfect the race of atomic supermen to conquer the world. Bela Lugosi has Klaus Kinski in the Klaus Kinski story. <laughs> um, you know what? Talking a little bit about villains like Nurse Ratched, Captain Bly from Mutiny on the Bounty. All right. Well, I'm going to have to tell you this. I have not seen that movie. Okay. I'm going to make this short, but Captain Bly is a very interesting All character. Right. And after you say this, you... I have a villain I'll bring up, too. But... Okay. All right, Mutiny on the Bounty. Captain Bly, he's this taskmaster. Master. He's a tyrant. He runs his ship hard. He doesn't take any excuses. You do something wrong, you get flogged. Okay. Which was pretty standard for the British Navy at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but here's the thing. there's a tur- The turning point is the mutiny. All right. Bly gets cast adrift with his loyal crew, as few as they are, and then he becomes the whole reason they stay alive. Because they basically just put him in a boat in the middle of nowhere, yeah. and it's, he's got like seven people in there, and they've got to get to land and right. survive. And because he is such a great leader, they all get back alive. Yeah. Meanwhile, the man who who's who's orchestrated the mutiny, Fletcher Christian. Yeah. He leads the men back to the island and they all realize there is no way they can go home because they have mutinied and they will be hung. <laughs> they will be hanged. Mm. So why terrible person, but the best leader of both of, the, of either of those men. Interesting. Yeah. Well, I guess you could say he's the best of both evils. I guess. <laughs> the um, best of the two evils. Alright, um... You remember Old Boy? Oh, yeah. The villain of that movie. That guy. <laughs> do things for a reason. You do things for a reason. What a reason. I mean, as... As implausible as that plot was, still, it was, uh... It made for quite an ending. It's a, it's a real, uh... <laughs> I just had to throw him out there, um... Oh, talking about uh, villains with institutions. Have you seen you've seen the Shawshank Redemption? Yeah. The warden is yeah. somebody who is uh, definitely the villain of that movie. Right. And uh, somebody who I, I just love. He, you know, you talk about certain villains with monologues, and sometimes you know, mo- villain monologues are kind of done and tired. But he has kind of like a great one where it's like he's kind of thrown Andy Dufresne into like a solitary confinement. Right. And he comes to him. Not knowing what Andy's plan, what he, Andy's been doing for all these years, but just like shoves it in his face about like all the things that you've been going for in this prison, the library gone, you know, all those people that you've been with, 
gone? Or am I being obtuse? <laughs> I love that. Oh, Khan. We talk about villains with plans. This is somebody who, um, in Wrath of Khan, that's an interesting character. Yes. You don't seem to have much to say about that. <laughs> he is Khan. He... You can read a lot into his plan with Kirk, with Kirk, and we talk about how Again, a villain who makes, you know, brings out the heroic side of somebody, Kirk versus Khan, yeah, in that movie. Kind of funny since they never meet face to face in that movie. No, they're all communicating over like, like communication, like video and like audio and stuff. Yeah, buried alive, buried alive. All right, here's a good question for you. Um, who's your favorite Disney villain? Uh, there are a lot. Oh, just off the top, that's who you go to right away. It's because she is one of the strongest char- uh, characters in Sleeping Beauty, which is a movie mm-hmm. that I really love. Mm-hmm. And uh, and she, you know she was so strong in that film that you know she deserved her own movie. Yeah, the movie she got wasn't great, but still I approved of the, of that concept. Yeah. I, I'd have to say, um, oh, and, sorry. And there's this great moment in Sleeping Beauty where Aurora has fallen asleep. She's like, the curse has happened. Yeah. And and Maleficent is back in her castle, you know, her evil lair, and all the demon minions of hers are like celebrating and dancing, and you know, she's accomplished everything she wanted to do, and she's just sitting back in her throne, you know, back this, you know, with all this swagger, <laughs> and she's like. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> even in even in victory, she just played it totally cool. Yeah. She was she, she there was marvelous. Yeah. I find that a fascinating Disney villain for me, in a way, because he turns out to be such a failure as a villain. Now, I mean, I don't mean that like he ends up being less villainous or interesting, but just as a failure villain is Scar hmm. in The Lion King, because he's this guy who. Spends all this time plotting to, you know, kill his his brother, who's the king. Right. And, you know, and he has this whole group of hyena minions who will rise up. And he has that Be Prepared song. And yeah. it's like, oh my god, I have like a group of Nazi hyenas who will do my will. <laughs> and yet... Bad news, always. And yet, you know, he kills his brother, takes over the kingdom, his, his nephew runs away. Yeah. Um... And then what he does with the kingdom is run it into the ground. Yeah, I, I've and I think I this isn't that... the, this is an original idea for me. Like I think I heard someone else talk about this before that it's fascinating when you see like someone who's that villainous take over and yet be such a crappy dictator. Yeah, but the problem was Scar as a character had intelligence and cunning. Yeah, I and guess then you he... wonder why how he could have let that happen, but I think it's because. Of his hubris, it kind of did him in. He thought, well, I'll just kick back and everything will be fine. Eh, I, I'd say that's more of a flaw in his character. He ceases hmm. being interesting once he gets what he wants. Hmm. I mean, it's like, um, we all say that Lion King is a version of Hamlet. Yeah. Now, in Hamlet, the interesting thing is, old old Hamlet dies, Claudius becomes king, and Hamlet is plotting whether or not he should do something about it. And meanwhile, Claudius is a pretty good king. Mm. And well, that, that makes more conflict, of course, for Hamlet. Right. And, you know, Hamlet, get into that. We're not going to talk a ton about Hamlet because we'll be here for hours a day. Yeah. But Scar never reaches that sort of point. 
it's like he becomes king and then he ceases to be interesting because he's just the power hungry tyrant who doesn't do anything with it he, he has no greater plan but i find that kind of fascinating though as like you know he doesn't stop being like bad or vicious uh maybe it's just in like a political way i find it kind of interesting that yeah. you'd have a villain who like i guess you could say that maybe if he was running things well it would make more conflict when simba came back yeah but then why would simba even need to come back at all yeah, good point. I guess the only thing is if his father be like, "You must take your place." But, well, Simba has right. to go back because he has to confront his his past and and his actions, even even though it wasn't his fault. What's interesting though too is that Scar keeps it going, you know that you know it's your fault he's dead, it's all your fault, and he keeps putting on him. And then in one moment he's about to kill Simba. He's like, "Here's my secret: <laughs> I killed Mufasa." Yeah, but, it's then, like he can't help but be evil. Yeah. <laughs> But again, that's dumb. He's like, he exposed the whole thing. Yeah. And it's like, all right, why would you do that? Mm. <laughs> he, he, Scar is, uh, to I don't me, know. it's like, I right, kind of find it thing, interesting how shitty he is. Eh. I don't know. Maybe he's not the best. I just, I don't know. I like he, his, he's the one you find most interesting. He has a lot of charisma Yeah, as a villain, I guess. All right. I don't know if we have so much more time, but I just like to run off a few other names that, uh, I think are worth uh, worth mentioning. Uh, Magneto. Interesting. Oh, he has yeah. a much grander plan. It's not just about the power of the money. Well, it, with him, it's especially when you get into first class, that's where he's like, uh, he, there are times where he's almost kind of like a badass. Yeah. He, he's some, And yet he has that kind of point of view that clashes distinctly. We talked about that with, uh, in a way, with Ratchet and McMurphy, only it's, here it's much more extreme because he's a mutant and... On the world, he's somebody who, you know, Xavier sees the world this one way and sees how mutants can live with humans, and Magneto's like, peace is not an option. Everybody yeah. just has to die. I and mean, and he, yet, ha he has a an intellectually valid point. A lot of problems with villains is when you don't really see their point. Too. Yeah. If you don't really have a good, strong point of view, then that's a problem. And with, you know, with Magneto, you have that. Even with the Joker, you have that. Yeah. Um, or, um, uh, yeah, it's, um, I'm trying to think of some other ones for some reason on my list. And it's been so long since I've seen this movie that I wonder how she holds up, uh, uh, Helen Mirren and Excalibur. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Is she a decent villain at all? Uh, not really. Uh, have you, you haven't seen Night of the Hunter, have you? I have. Robert Mitchum. He's a villain. Oh man. The preacher. Yeah. I'm going to tell you the story of love and hate. And, and fight the power. Fight the Yeah. <laughs> if I love you, I love you. But if I hate you, that's what it is. <laughs> children. If you hear ever hear what like children, that's like a reference I probably heard when I was a kid and I didn't get it yeah. until I finally saw that movie. Uh Raiders of the Lost Ark. Meh. Yeah, not a great villain. Belloc. I mean, he's a good villain. I just, Maybe just not I just great. don't think he's the strongest villain. Yeah. Well, uh, no, well, he, he's a strong villain. He does what in he that does story. for a reason. He's good for that story. He fits it well. Is he one of the top 100 villains? No. All right. Yeah, I guess not. Um. Yeah, I don't know. Oh, Pan's Labyrinth. 
Oh, that guy. <laughs> yeah, the captain. Yeah. Oh, man. Uh, you talk about uh, somebody who gets like a slight Buñuel homage in that case. Uh, we talked about Chinatown. Right. Uh, this is going to be a little controversial. I um, I, I kind of picked a documentary. Uh when I watch Fahrenheit 9-11, George W. Bush is kind of the villain of that movie. That's and he's a, such a great villain. <laughs> that's a, that's kind of oh, weird. Alright, maybe I won't go there. That's just my own personal personal thing. Um, how about the movie M? Yeah, Peter, Peter Lorre's character was a good villain. He's a, I, th- I think he's a fascinating villain in that movie. Hmm. He's somebody who... And also, and yet, like, because you don't really see that much of him through a lot of the movie, and yet he always, he always pops up, and he's like such like that, a that character's presence is felt throughout the film. Yeah, oh, absolutely. And you can kind of feel sympathy with him because he's in this just terrible position. Yeah, but you know that doesn't excuse him from doing terrible things. No, 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 it doesn't. And yet, I find yeah, the ending is just kind of like when he's kind of pouring out his soul. It's like. That's not your typical villain monologue. That's somebody who uh, yeah. is just kind of a messed up person, and yet that doesn't make him any less villainous. Right. Um, I don't know. Is there anybody else that you wanted to mention before we... Oh, oh, here's a good question. So on that list, you have in Silence of the Lambs. Uh, I mean, Lecter, I guess you could say, is like an ultimate villain. Yeah. But and yet, when I watch that movie again, like it sounds weird, but there's a part of me that almost doesn't register him as a villain. I know he is, but like when I like when I watch that movie, to me the villain is Buffalo Bill. Well, I mean, again, he's. he's... I remember someone talking about Silence of the Lambs and saying that Hannibal Lecter is so charming, but uh, that charm is uh, deflects the the deflects the villainy that we're supposed to that he's sending off. Yeah. Like he he is the villain of that film. But he deflects that with charm, and we make the mistake of thinking of Buffalo Bill as the ultimate villain. Mm, so maybe I maybe I made that mistake. But uh, well, that's that's one way of of doing it because well, Hannibal Lecter. Kind of, well, it kind of has two villains. You have like your kind of psychological villain, and then you have your real, you know, big threat. You know what's something interesting I found out? I was listening to a podcast, uh, Monster Talk. They were talking about psychopaths. Okay. And there are lots of movie psychopaths. I mean, Hannibal Lecter is one of them. Mm-hmm. Buffalo Bill. You know, they commit these horrible crimes. And you know, Patrick Bateman. Yeah. And, oh. and the, a good illustration of a psychopath is somebody who can throw up a lot of charm mm-hmm. and uh, be likable, but it's all a veneer. Inside, they're empty. Hmm. And the best movie illustration of a psychopath is Holly from Badlands. Hmm. Well, Space. Was, was this your point, or was that on the podcast? That was on the podcast. They mentioned this. Huh. Well, Sissy Spacek. Yeah, no, no, no. I know who you're talking about. Because I the fact that she's going along with this guy... For all this time, but it's and but, even though like she doesn't really kill anybody, she is there, and she is like at the least an accomplice. 
but but it's much more than that. It's the way she acts. Yeah. If you were to see a psychopath in 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 real life, this is the portrayal that would most conform to what you're actually seeing. Hmm. Because most of she's not emotional about things. She doesn't feel guilty. She doesn't feel remorse. She doesn't. She doesn't even feel like she doesn't feel sex. Like there's that whole scene where she talks about, well, he did it with me, and it was you know I didn't like it, but we moved on. Right. Like, and I love that in that movie. It's like, even though he's the love of my life and I think he's so cool, we're not really, we can't really, we don't really have real intimacy. Right. But she hasn't learned to, to be charming like a person like Patrick Bateman. No, she's kind of like a psycho in training. <laughs> no, I mean, she's a teenager. She's young. When I watched the movie, I almost got a little bit more of like, this is like a proto Twilight, but more interesting. <laughs> Because you have, like, this girl who sees this guy as, like, the perfect guy, and yet, you know, why? The other thing that Holly does is she speaks in she speaks in a lot of cliches. Yeah. And they aren't things that she necessarily picked up in conversation. They're things she's read. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what psychopaths do. And that's why Patrick Bateman is so important. Because, remember, remember we talked a while back about, I was wondering whether Patrick Bateman really liked music or not? Mm. And you said no, because... Most of the stuff he said was stuff he had probably just read. Yeah. And then I realized, oh, yeah, you're right. Well, yeah, well, it's like, well, in the book especially, and they, they, they've lifted a lot of stuff from the book portions, in, but they kind of used it in monologues in different parts of the yeah. film. Like, they moved stuff around, but it was there. It's like you read his reviews, and he sounds like a... Like some empty film, like music critic or something. Yeah. Or there's that part in in the monologue where he's doing his like morning ritual, his yeah. grooming, and he's like, "There's an idea of a Patrick Bateman, but I am simply not, not there. there." Yeah. And you know, Patrick Bateman, he's not the, he's not as good as a portrayal of a psychopath as as Holly because you know he he feels this weird kind of remorse or guilt for something. I don't know. Like though. in the end, like he has that whole scene where he's trying to confess what he's done and nobody believes him. I, that's not something really a psychopath would do. Hmm. Whatever it is. Uh, but still, that idea of who I who I appear to be is an act, and, and behind that is nobody. Well, also the idea that like in the movie they they I guess part of it's a commentary on Reagan from the eighties at the time where it's like. Well, that you look at it on the outside and he's so calm and all that, but inside, inside, and you hear Patrick Bateman narrate just this one little line, but inside doesn't matter. And I think that's a key line in that movie. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's um, man, he, he's so much fun to watch in that movie. I'm just a happy camper, <laughs> rocking and rolling. <laughs> Um, all right, yet. so any final words about villains? I think we should probably wrap this up. I mean, we could go on and on and on about villains, and we probably missed a lot of good villains to talk about. Like, and uh, Oh, and another one from Tarantino movies. Have you seen True Mo- Romance? No. Well, nope. put that on your list, because there's a great villain in that, played by Gary Oldman. Nice. And uh, you know what's funny on my list, of all things, and this isn't even a... I don't even know if it's a great villain, but it's someone that... Has sticked out in my mind, st- sticked out, stuck out in my mind since I was a kid, is uh, Stromboli in uh, Pinocchio. Yeah. He's in that movie so little though. No, but like the impression he makes, you know, he, uh, you know, he basically 
makes Pinocchio his slave. Yeah. And, you know, threatens that when you grow old, I'll chop you up into wood. And <laughs> as a kid, all right, maybe he's not an all-time great villain, but as a kid, he is terrifying. He made, he made an impact on you. Yeah, he did. Like, you know, among the many things in that movie that the, will make an over, impact. This uh, animated Italian stereotype. <laughs> really uh, really traumatize you. <laughs> Alright, so ladies and gentlemen, if you have a favorite villain or somebody you think we've egregiously left out, which is very possible, leave a comment and subscribe to us, rate us, berate us, like us, kiss us, (laughs) but uh, we'd love to hear your response, send us a question at Facebook. Email us at wagesofcinema at gmail.com. You can also send us a tweet, twitter.com slash wagesofcinema. Uh, we're also on Tumblr. Uh, I haven't updated that that much recently, but you, you better get on it, Jack. You, well, our podcast or, or I'll there. fire you from the Wages of Cinema. Oh, sure. You'll fire me. I'll, you'll fight, like Donald Trump, you're fired. <laughs> Yeah, we make so much money to buy anyway, each other. We'd but love no, to hear from you. We'd love to hear from you, and we're so happy that uh, we have fans from all over the world listening to us, though. I mean, good uh, Pedro, uh, who left us that comment, he's from uh, South America, I believe. All of it. All of it, yes. He, he writes in his mail, like, he doesn't even write the country, he just writes South America, all of it, in the zip code. Thanks, Pedro. Thank you. And uh, tune in next time where uh, we talk more movies and Andrew will... Wait a minute. Wait a minute. You know what our next episode is? No. That is the Oscars episode, my friend. Aha! It is! So here's what we're going to do. We are going to watch... Jack and I are going to watch the Oscars together. You guys won't be there because you'll be watching the Oscars with your loved ones and your significant others. And... We are going to watch it. Afterwards, we're going to talk about it. Talk about the big shockers. Talk about the not-so-shocking little ones. Yes, and you'll hear that podcast uh, immediately. I'll stay up late because I love you all so much. And um, we will. Uh, you'll hear us Monday morning, and we'll talk about the Oscars. We'll talk about who won, who lost, who gave the best speech, who... What was the least necessary musical number? Oh, oh yeah. Which was the best montage? Well, hopefully they have montages. I remember yeah, in our last, in our last year Oscar was surprisingly podcast, montage-free. You like you like your montages and uh, you like your musical numbers. I well, musical numbers I can go without. We'll but, see what happens though, because again, with Chris Rock as host, he might want to take some time for his uh, his monologue. All right, which I'm really excited for him most of all. Come on, buddies. All right. Oscar episode. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. And uh, if you want to hear uh, some of our talk about the Oscar nominees, by the way, you can listen to a couple of our past episodes where we uh, I, I went a little bit in depth talking about things with the Oscar controversies, Oscars so white, the nominees, and so on. So with that, I'm Jack. And I'm Andrew. And remember, let's do it together. The wages of cinema is death. Good night. I am Loki. Of Asgard. And I am burdened with glorious purpose.
Stand back, you mewling quim. <laughs> the bright lure of freedom diminishes your life's joy in a mad scramble for a place in this chamber. In this meager palace of Midgard. The arena they call Hall H. Where are your Avengers now? Say my name. Say my name. Say my name. Say my name.